Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. On today's episode, you're going to hear from Alex Genove, a true CX leader who walks the talk every day. He has spent his career working at reputable companies like Intuit, TurboTax, and currently at Zappos, which is unequivocally a model brand when it comes to delivering customer excellence and innovation. We talk a lot about innovation, which Alex explains is different than invention. He shares best practices so that you understand customers can meet their needs, leveraging data and human factors to win their hearts and their wallets. I encourage you to take notes because we don't just talk about big ideas, but rather share actionable tips that you can do at your workplace right away. You don't need to be the size of Zappos or their budgets to doing CX right. I have one request, please subscribe to my Doing CX Right podcast on your favorite channel, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, and more. Tell others so that we can spread the movement of Doing CX Right. It means a lot. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, Alex Ganoff. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Hi, Good to be here. So I am excited about today with you because Doing CX Right requires it being intentional. It requires really walking the talk. And you and the brand that you work for actually are the real deal. So I'm, I'm so happy you're here. And Let's start off with who, tell the audience, who are you? What do you do? That's a great question, Stacey. Who am I? I don't know if I really know who am I. Do we really <laughs> know who we are? We think we do. <laughs> yes. You probably should ask, you know, my, my wife, my kids, you know, they're going to get different answers. <laughs> who am I? Um, so Alex Ganoff, I, um, I head up customer research at Zappos. And also, at, uh, you know, I'm a family man, uh, married. We live in Las Vegas, which is the entertainment capital, uh, capital of the world. We also have 2.4 beautiful children. And uh, little Nicholas is 0.4. And uh, I keep telling him, you know, he's going to grow up to be a 1.0 human being. <laughs> I was 0.4 when I was growing up. Uh, so I can do this little comedy bit for a while. Uh, but it is uh, related to what I really care about, which is applying my social psychology background to to now helping organizations understand customers as people. And that's that's one of my main roles at Zappos. Mm. Um, and what I've been trying to convey um, in the past few years is this, the need for this balance between looking at numbers, right? And, and a lot of organizations are focused on that and understanding customers as people and balancing that. Ooh, that's a really good topic, especially because I was on a call before around how it was all data, data driven. And I was the speaker bringing the heart to the conversation. So you're definitely touching a chord for me right now. I wish you were on that call with me. <laughs> um, so 
why? Why do you care so much about this? I mean, I, uh, because I mean, who who knows why? What sparked my interest in psychology? Uh, I'm originally from Bulgaria, and you know, back in the day, um, I was studying. I studied for a year in this uh, institute of economics back in the day, and uh, and then I decided to come over to the to the states, um, and I picked psychology, and it was. I, I mean, I can't explain why I was interested in how the mind works and humans in general, and so what makes us tick. So then I came and started studying psychology as an undergraduate, and then continued on to graduate school, only because I was on a foreign student visa and I had to keep my status, not that I wanted to keep studying for psychology for 10 years. But that's, uh, you know, it's hard to explain, but I'm... I'm interested in this the human side of things, and I also see the need to to have this counterpoint in a way or this complementary point to our emphasis on data and algorithms and so on to to bring the other side because I'm always um, striving for balance and and I think if we just say numbers are everything and algorithms are gonna solve everything um i think that's the balance gets off kilter if mm. if you know if the balance is tipped the other way and say we only have to understand emotions and humans and uh, individual people that's not going to work for for the business setting either so somewhere in the middle and i'm trying to bring that balance a little bit mm. what's one fun fact people might not know about you fun fact I'm a, a big fan of Shaolin Kung Fu, and I uh, I study Shaolin Kung Fu here in Vegas. There's a Shaolin master that I've been studying under for six years now. And I've also been to Shaolin Temple three times, studying there and, and training. And uh, mm. even one time they uh, gave us... Uh, they ordained us as as disciples, which we totally did not deserve to be ordained as disciples after a week of training. It takes about ten plus years, twenty years. But that's a that's a fun fact, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So let's get to the heart of the conversation here about customer experience. You speak right about innovation. What does, how do you define innovation? Uh, great question, Stacey. This, uh, my perspective on innovation was um, really influenced by a comment I heard, a very insightful comment from a panelist years ago um, at a conference. And that person, I, I don't even remember the person's name now, but he distinguished between innovation and invention. And that to me, that struck a chord with me um, and he def- the way he defined invention was creating something new, something new, something exciting, something that hadn't existed before, maybe technical, maybe uh, otherwise. But its invention is different from innovation in the sense that uh, for something to be an innovation, and that's according to this definition, of course, but it has to have a real impact for people's lives and for the business. So only when an invention starts having a real impact and solves an important problem, then it becomes innovation. 
So a lot of, I kind of have a pet peeve of, with, um, with you know, obsession with things that that are really um, innovation that is driven by by technology. So technology first, for example, which to me is the car before the horse, and things that are in a way solving pseudo problems, if you will, right? That, I mean, I, and you can argue with that, but there's a lot of these startups that solve the problem of uh, overcrowded uh, inbox or, you know, your mailbox, email mailbox is full and they, they have innovations to solve that, right? There's a host of those so-called innovations. Um, I I personally have a problem with that because I'm always thinking, from the customer perspective, is it really a problem for people? How many people have this problem? And then if you solve it, is it going to make people's lives easier? How many people are going to be affected? And uh, can uh, that propel meaningful businesses as well? Do you believe that Zappos is a good model around innovation? We know they're best in class. Is that where you're really learning about what innovation means? And is that what's part of what makes them so great? Absolutely, Stacey. I think Zappos is so well-known and such a great company um, and a great business because, you know, early on and even now, they, they innovate. They, they're based on innovation. I think one of the one of the additional points that I should uh, touch upon in terms of innovation is that there's different types of innovation. There's technical innovation, but there's also business innovation on business models. There's innovation on how you just run the business. So here's to me what made Zappos Zappos early on. Uh, it was this um, genius insight, I think, that what will differentiate Zappos in the early days is going to be reliance on customer service, focus on customer service. And it's these really counterintuitive moves that I think propel businesses. That's one of them, where in a, in a world where even nowadays, the vast majority of companies, I, I believe, consider customer service to be a necessary uh, part, but something to be, you know, a cost to be minimized, right, and uh, marginalized and so on. So that trickles down and, and results in a lot of decisions that then affect the customer negatively. Instead, what Zappos uh, decided early on was, um, you know, Tony Shea and the company basically decided, you know, people are going to buy shoes elsewhere too, right? And the, the dominant mode um, was and even nowadays is is in store. So they said, why would co- people come to Zappos? What we're going to do is we're going to make customer service our top priority. So that counterintuitive thinking, I think, led to the success. Just like in in other areas, uh, like for example, Zappos is part of Amazon, and one of the most successful businesses within Amazon is Amazon Prime, and that was another counterintuitive move to say we're going to create a program, loyalty program, where people are going to pay to participate. 
And again, it's or, or even this Amazon really brilliant move early on by, by Jeff Bezos to say, you know what, um, when they created their online platform, which was a, like an online store, they said, you know what, we're going to give our competitors space on our shelves to sell their stuff. Right? And then again, people said, thought that was crazy. But those counterintuitive moves are the ones that pay off in the long run. So to answer your question, yes, Zappos is based on innovation. And now, even more so than before, for example, after the pandemic um, hit, um, Zappos not only survived but thrived because it was online, set up for online. And then very quickly, Zappos pivoted to help um, their vendors and help their partners in the sense that uh, they would start coming up with uh, alternative business models, not just wholesale, but also dropship, consignment, and all these other models so that, you know, they would help their partners with inventory issues, with uh, supply chain issues very, very quickly. Uh, that pivot happened. So what could other companies, small and big, learn from Zappos? I think some of the, I mean, they can learn a lot. And, uh, you know, we have a group within Zappos called Zappos Insights. And before the pandemic, uh, I mean, people, companies and individual people would uh, tour Zappos. I mean, come to learn from Zappos. It was almost like a university for this kind of success with culture and with uh, focus on the customer. But some of the, the, the main, I think, lessons are... Well, number one, focus on the customer. And not only on the customer, but focus on your relationship with your vendors, with your business partners. At the end of the day, it really boils down to human relationships, right? The relationship with your suppliers, with your vendors, with your employees, and with your customers, and with the community. So these are the, the, the four pillars for, for Zappos is uh, the commerce part, it's the customer, um, it's the community and the culture. So these are the, the, the four pillars. Um, but, but at the end of it, at the bottom of it is all relationships. Yes, I agree. It, it comes down. Data, again, is important, but it's the relationship, it's the communication that makes brands win. And it's in our control. That's right. Right, it doesn't require a lot of money <laughs> to to communicate and to appreciate people and your customers and keep it real. Exactly, and and in terms of just company culture, to your point, it's it's the little things. It's not really big, expensive programs. So I'll give you a couple examples from Zappos. I mean, back again before the pandemic, where everybody was on campus and the culture was really vibrant and, and in-person. Um, every team had a budget that we had to spend you know, on eating and drinking together as a team every month. Right? So that was almost like a requirement. You know what I mean? So go spend this money to have fun and to bond. So that's one. So now it's moved a little bit when, when we're working from home. 
it transitioned to the digital realm. So now we have uh, we have these online lunches and we get cater you know delivery. So we have some money to get order some food and we still sit around and it's not the same, of course, but the spirit is the same. And then little rituals, daily rituals that Zappos has, there's a automated email that comes out every day with every employee's on that day, birthdays or anniversaries, work anniversaries. So, so simple. I mean, it comes out and then it's up to everybody to do whatever they want with that. But I, for example, take time to just say happy birthday and happy anniversary, even to people that I I haven't met, I, I don't know personally, right? But still it creates this, then I get a thank you. And then when I see them, they you know recognize me and say, oh, thank you for sending me this email, right? And so that creates the bond. It's these, it's these little things. Yeah, micro moments. Exactly. Micro moments. So you talk a lot about stuck in traffic. Brands and leaders are stuck in traffic. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I don't know if, if, I, if I talk a lot about it. I wrote, years ago, I wrote this little little piece on LinkedIn. It was quite literally about traffic. And it was in the, I think the way like you phrase it, it feels like I'm using it metaphorically. I mean, I, when I wrote this, I, I wrote it literally. And it was in the, in the context again of innovation of, you know, is, is innovation solving important problems? Problems important for society, problems important for for business, right, on a larger scale. So that was that was the idea, and the idea was it was more of a rhetorical question: is why why aren't we solving the problem of traffic versus other things that mm-hmm. may sound fun or they, you know, the, the whole point is I have a, I have a thing I have a pet peeve about the cart before the horse, right? There's a new technology and now people are excited about it. They say, now, how can we apply it, right? And then, and then let's innovate, but, but it's not based on necessarily on first understanding an important problem or jobs to be done. Uh, this uh, framework by Clayton Christensen is, a, is one of my favorites. What job is, is this solving um, for, for people? And if it's not if it's not done starting from the customer need or the an important business need, then it's always um, it feels contrived and um, I mean things like chatbots again, it's a technology now let's see how we where you can plug it in. I think it becomes this annoying kind of clippy like experience. Just a different, more modern version of Clippy. But again, I think the root cause is we have this technology now. How can we use it? Well, going back to your traffic scenario, I mean, that's just, it is symbolic of pain points. I mean, traffic anywhere is is a pain point. So the question is, how do company leaders really understand their customer pain points? What's your view on that? You know, I cannot speak to all company leaders. Um, I've been um, 
I've worked for for several, you know, big and small companies, and um, all of them have been um, customer centric to one extent or another. So, for example, Intuit, um, they were they are one of the most customer centric companies out there. Um, they're known for their for research and for UX and so on, and it's driven by leadership. And, um, and Scott Cook was the founder, was the one who uh, initiated a really interesting back in the day. I mean, this was many many years ago. Who knows? Maybe thirty years ago, when he. Um, Founded QuickBooks and um, or Quicken, Quicken back in the day. So personal financial organization software. It was based, of course, that's pre-internet. It was based on CDs and uh, like a, a big part of the folklore into it was uh, the time when he released uh, Quicken. And he would go to the store and observe when somebody picked up the box and then he would approach them and ask them, can I come home with you to see how are you using it? <laughs> and uh, so we had these, so these were dubbed follow me home. So these are, I mean, in, in research that's contextual, called contextual inquiry or, you know, ethnograph, a form of ethnographic research. But it's really, it was modeled by the founder of the company, and then it became part of the part of the the DNA of the company. So at Zappos is the same way. It's uh, everybody when everybody uh, joins Zappos, and again, my experience was pre-pandemic. Uh, all of us spent a whole month in intense customer service training. So think about it. You join a company regardless of your rank or whatever you did before. So when, when I did my new hire training, we had about 40, 45 people. Some had been in the you know food industry in Vegas, servers, you know, like waiters, waitresses. Some were, had been VPs and in other companies. In that moment, that didn't matter what, what you were before, right? You were just an individual. And you were on the second day, we got on the phones helping customers. And it's the most humbling experience. But that's how, you know, one of, one of the ways in which every Zappos employee would get in touch with the customer, understand customer pain points. And then later on, everybody has to spend about 10 hours every, every year around holidays on the phones. Um, so we call it holiday help. The CEO is there, everybody's there, and uh, and that's another way. So I think it's just a matter of of a mindset to say, let's understand customers. And, and then the activity itself, you can come up with a lot of activities to do that. Mm. I love those examples. And I also believe that it's easy, you just have to be intentional again, to pay attention, look, look what customers are saying, people are saying on social media and ratings and review sites, in addition to what you're collecting in a methodical way. Right. Right? Exactly. So and it's available. Exactly. And uh, totally. And so that's the more of a, like a passive collection of, you know, of feedback because people are talking about companies, especially social media is just, it's a natural 
platform for for that. Conversations are happening, um, but then also within a company. So at Zappos, for example, we have um, a program called Voice as a Customer Program, and we intentionally started it. And we've been on a journey seven plus years to develop it to start collecting feedback. And then to to evolve it to start using text analytics. So this one case where we cannot do it without AI, right? And um, the the bigger the data set, the better, because you get more signal and less noise. And we've been on a journey to do that uh, now to the point where our executives are reading comments. Our CEO, Kedar uh, Despanda, is reading comments every week and encouraging executives to, to, to take them seriously and also encouraging us to have, again strive for this balance because, again, you can, you can tip the balance if you just read the comments and you cannot go and start investing and changing the software based on one or two comments, right? You need to really, and sometimes the comments are even saying something like your checkout sucks. Like you cannot, based on such comments, go and start changing checkout. You have to really first understand what really happened. So you have to connect that comment to see what actually happened during that session, understand the root cause, and then estimate how big that problem is, how many people have that issue. And then that will help the businesses prioritize the work. So that is, that's what we're in the middle of right now. Yeah, I believe it's so important to aggregate all the voice of customer channels so that you don't respond to the one-offs, but rather the scalable things and the multi-channels coming together so you can prioritize. That's, That's gold. That's how you win. Exactly, exactly. And that's why you need to have one of the tactical things that need to be done is to connect all those dots, collect them in one database so you can connect them. That's, that's the point. If you, if you, if it dispersed in different databases, then you have nothing. But for small companies who don't have Zappos budgets and, and other brands you've worked at and myself, you can start small. Have have somebody whose role is to aggregate, even if it's manual, or use tools right, right, that, exactly. that scrape the internet and then really pull into some of the activities that your company's doing. So I don't want people to be afraid to actually do what we're talking about. It, it's just start somewhere and then you evolve. Exactly. I mean, that's a great point. And I mean, to your point, it, it the size of the company doesn't matter. The, the the principle is the same. Put everything in one place. So let's say Zappos is a big company. It's part of Amazon. We have these. We have tens of millions of customers, right? Um, so we have these big databases and so on. You can be a small company. All you need is an Excel spreadsheet. The principle is the same. Put every everything in that Excel spreadsheet, and then the customers should be one row. And the columns should be all the variables that you're collecting. It doesn't doesn't matter where you, you can put it in a in a notebook, yeah. right? To where where you you put in. Um, so I mean, well, I'm I'm a big fan of um, the idea of hospitality as a metaphor for customer experience in general, even even online. 
And I'm a huge fan of Danny Meyer, who's a, who's a New York restaurateur, a very famous. Uh, he wrote the book Setting the Table. And there he talks about collecting the dots so we can connect the dots. And so he, he is famous for creating these amazing experiences, dining experiences. But that's what he did for, for each customer. He would keep notes or he would encourage employees to keep notes of their favorite foods and their anniversaries and everything. And they kept it in on cue cards or on, you know, piece of paper industry. So, so it doesn't matter. It's just that the end result, the, it's the intention is what, what matters. Well, we're coming down to the end, which is, uh, it came too fast as always. So I'm going to ask you my two ending questions, which sure. is, if I had tons of CEOs and leaders and entrepreneurs in my room right now, what's the one key takeaway you want them to remember? I would say it's the takeaway of of balance when it comes to understanding numbers and and uh, and running the businesses. Balance between really the manageable, easily manageable big data. Uh, structured data, right? The numbers, but also balancing that with uh, understanding of customers as human beings, as people. It's more qualitative, but to me, it's still needed. So balancing those two is is once once you hit that balance, I think that's when the magic is going to happen. I agree. Yes, yes. And finally, if you could go back to your younger 20-year-old self, what would you tell younger Alex that you know now that you didn't know then? I would say um, don't, get, don't get too wound up about, uh, don't, uh, about uh, being right. I don't think that's that important. And, uh, but when you're young, you're starting out, you're kind of insecure and you feel like you need to prove you're the smartest person in the room and you take things personally, and you you you, you kind of take things take things too seriously, and that always uh, that damages relationships, I think. And so that, to me, uh, if I would be uh, more laid back about things. Uh, mm. Great words of wisdom. Well, where can people find you? And I'll add links in the show notes if they want to connect. I think LinkedIn is probably my platform of choice. Um, it's um, I'm a fan of LinkedIn, so there would be a good spot. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Alex, for sharing so much about doing CX right from your personal perspective as a consumer, as an employee, and as a human being in this world. Thank you. Thank you, Stacey. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman, Doing CX Right.